I uh, uh, really looking forward to this. Uh, Lauren had mentioned this booklet here. Uh, this is something that uh, is not just to take notes today on. By the way, page five is uh, this week's sermon notes. Uh, so if you'll turn to page five, we'll, uh, uh, we'll take a look at um, three lies, I think, that are just absolutely crucial, crucial to um, do away with. But there's also uh, Bible study methods in here. Uh, there's a table of contents, how to use this guide. So you'll be using this booklet um, in your community groups, and uh, you'll be using this booklet as well for a Bible study. We're going to be studying through the book of Philippians over the next three weeks. So uh, keep this close to your side. And uh, by the way, I, I want to talk to uh, everyone here. This this uh, initiative, these next three weeks, and we'll begin today with the question of why, why do we study our Bible? But these next three weeks are about studying the Bible. We'll talk about why we study the Bible today. We'll talk next week. <clears throat> Brother Tim will, will bring a message to us about how to study the Bible. And then Michael Fueling, Pastor Michael Fueling, will be back in three weeks. And he'll uh, speak to us about redeeming the time, redeeming those, those, those empty spaces in our life relative to studying uh, and reading through um, the Word of God. Uh, we are in a series called Deep is What You Do, and um, uh, prior to the Easter service and last week's service, we had three services uh, on how we got our Bible. And uh, we talked about the canon of Scripture. We talked about the inspiration of God. We talked about the, the inerrancy of Scripture. And so today is really uh, uh, the beginning of this session to answer the question, why? The study guide, studying the resource guide, this is for everyone. Uh, it, it's for the student of the Bible. I know some folks in here personally are real students of the Bible. In other words, they open it up, they read it, they study it, they ransack the scriptures, and, and they, they look at scripture passionately in their life. Uh, some of you are like that. There's, there's others here that may be, here that may be new believers, and so this is something really uh, for you to just begin to read the Bible and to begin to study, make some observations uh, in Scripture, and to begin to sort of dissect uh, more than just devotionally, but really dissect what Scripture is telling you. And then there's others here. Uh, you may be a young person. Let me, let me speak to the young people here. Um, you're going to find that several passages of Scripture that I bring today are, uh, are for all of us, but they're directed specifically at young people. And so uh, families, uh, parents, I would strongly encourage that you get one of these for your young person. When I say young person, I'm talking about anybody who can really understand and read, okay, and, and who can uh, do those kinds of things. I think this is important for them to participate in as well. So today's series is on uh, studying the Bible. It begins with answering the question, why? And simply stated, well, why do we study the Bible? Well, I, to know Jesus and to bring glory to God. That would be a simple response to that. Uh, the Bible, which is the only source of absolute divine authority, um, informs us of God's mind and his will for us. All right? So said another way, reading and studying the Bible informs us of God's mind and his will for us. Now we can say it a different way, maybe in a negative way, and say the degree to which we ignore, the degree to which we ignore 
the Bible, that is the degree to which we don't read and study the Bible, is the degree to which God's mind and his will is left on the pages of Scripture and, and never gets to our workplace. It, it never gets to our neighbor. It never gets to our community. It, it, it never gets to our spending habits. It never gets to our finances. It, it never gets to, uh, and this is for obviously married couple. it never gets to the marriage bed. You know that the Bible has an incredible amount to say about the intimacy between a husband and a wife. It, it never gets there. And for those of you who may be uh, single here and, and looking forward to uh, marriage one day, uh, my wife and I had the privilege when we were in South Carolina of uh, leading a college and career group, and we had a lot of college and career folks. There were, I don't know, on a Sunday morning, were probably around 200 uh, college and career kids. So it was, a, it was a large group. And, of course, we were involved in a lot of counseling, and it, it amazed us sometimes when we talked to these young people about, you know, in preparation for marriage, what is it that you're looking to do? What are you doing to prepare for this? And, and inevitably, what, what came out of their mouth was, well, I'm, I'm looking for someone that's going to fit me. Okay, so in other words, it was, it was more of this external thing. They're looking beyond themselves when, in fact, really, when you look at Scripture, what Scripture does is it says you need to be taking in God's Word and transforming your mind and your heart so that you can be prepared to be a godly wife, a godly mother, or a godly husband or a godly father. So that preparation is really internal. So this really is very, very important for us in terms of studying the Scripture. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, it speaks of God's promises as being exceedingly great. And there's another word he uses in there to, to talk about it. Exceedingly great and what? Precious, right? And I would submit to you that even an unbeliever, someone who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, can look into the Bible and read it, can read Genesis chapter 1, can read in the book of Exodus, the, the, the parting of the waters of the Red Sea, can read in the, the Gospels um, all these miracles, and would say, as an unbeliever, if this is true, this is, this is exceedingly great. So most people will look into the Bible, as believers or not, and say, if this is true, it's exceedingly great. That's not the word that I really want to emphasize here. It's the word precious. How can you have two individuals who have come to know Christ 10 years ago, so they've been in Christ for 10 years, and you have one individual who, who loves the Word of God, who reads it daily, who studies it, who ransacks the Scriptures, whose, whose whole life is passionate and, and wrapped around the Word of God. He's not a preacher. He works in business somewhere. And, 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 and he would say, and you would say, as you look at his lifestyle, this pers person looks at the Bible um, with, with passion. This person looks at the Bible as precious. And then you have the other individual who's known Christ for 10 years, and they're they have the Bible in their house, it's on their iPhone, it's on their computer. 
It's, it's, it's on their nightstand. And, and, and yet, they, they, may, they maybe look at a verse or two a week, never really get around to reading it. And you look at their lifestyle, there's just not a whole lot of difference between where they're at and maybe somebody who doesn't know Christ or might be a good moral person. What's the difference between the two? The difference, I would submit to you, is, is their perspective on this, the preciousness of the Word of God in their life. I want to talk to you about these three lies that I think really need to be addressed, uh, not just in our church, but in, in, in Christendom today. I'm talking about genuine Christendom today. Lie number one, God's Word is inconvenient. God's Word is inconvenient. Uh, we have uh, four kids, uh, two boys. Our two boys are in the military. Uh, one of our sons, uh, uh, a few years ago, was going through the process of BUDS training. That's basic underwater demolition SEAL training. Um, he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And he, um, he was working really hard. Uh, he was going through this phase one training, and uh, he was injured, uh, not to debilitating injury, but he had injuries. He was sore. He, was, he, had, he had the pneumonia. He was really, really going through a difficult time. And uh, as, frankly, everybody else was too, by the way. And uh, it was before what they termed Hell Week. And of course, his parents, you know, were praying earnestly every day throughout the day that the Lord would give him grace and mercy, that he would, he would make it, right? And so every time we got a call from him, what do you think we're thinking his parents are? You know, is he, is he, is he okay? Is he, is he doing well? Or is, is this, you know, I, I didn't make it kind of thing. So it's kind of that, that anxiety. So he called one night, and he called my wife, Deborah. And he started talking to her uh, about the challenges and the difficulty that he was going through. And he described all of those. And, uh, and, and I just don't have time to, to go through all of them. But as, as he described them to her, uh, she just patiently listened. And um, her question to him was, Sam, uh, what's it going to take to give up your dream? And so he sort of thought about that, you know, you, you had a dream, you had a passion to do this, what, and you were all in, what's changed? Well, of course, all of the physical things have changed. So um, she talked a little bit further with him, she gave me the phone, I talked with him briefly, I didn't say anything more than what my wife had already told him and challenged him with, and we prayed together and got off the phone. And about an hour later, he texted us, both of us, and he said, Something like this. I don't, I don't have the, the exact text, but he said something effective. I'm all in. I'm not going to quit. I'd rather die than quit. So he was no longer selling out, but he was, he was all in. He was completely bought in. And his heart was, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to give it my all. And if I can't make it, then I'll know I gave my very best. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23, and, and by the way, in this outline, you're going to be getting a lot of verses today. So I would encourage you to write these verses down so that you can go back and kind of muse this over. Verse uh, 23 of chapter 23 of Proverbs, and I'll read this to you. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. So God's word is telling us to buy truth and not to sell it. The thought of buying 
Um, the truth implies what? If you buy something, there's a transaction that occurs. So, so you're using some currency to buy something. God is telling you to buy this truth. What's the currency you're using? If we're talking about buying truth that's acquiring it, what currency would we use? You know, time is one, right? There's, there's, there's a currency in time. And this truth implies that transaction. In other words, it, it's giving up something in order to get something. It's investing in one thing over another. What is it that, that you're investing in? So you can drive down the street and take, uh, you know, at lunchtime and, and look at, you know, both two, three, four, you know, restaurants, McDonald's, Burger King. Which one do I go to? Do I go to Subway? Do I go to Jersey Mike's? Where, where do I go? You make a choice to invest your currency there as opposed to someplace else. God is saying, I want you to buy the truth and don't sell it. Well, what does it mean to sell the truth? That means to, to, to give it away. What are, what are you giving the truth away to? What do we give the truth away to? Well, we, we make choices every day, right? There's your, when you make a choice, that's, that's a transaction. That's a transaction. We, we make thousands of choices every single day. And God is telling us, I want you to buy the truth. Don't sell it. Don't give it away. Don't give it away uh, for entertainment's sake. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with enter entertainment in and of itself. Can you have too much entertainment? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, you're making those transactions every single day. The ease, the comfort, social. I mean, I, you know... It's a generational thing, I guess. I don't do social media that much. I don't have, it's weird, I don't have a Facebook and I have a Twitter account and I have anything else like that. Um, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but but, but what, are you, what are you doing with those in terms of buying truth? Are you spending more time than you should on social media? So there's, there's a lot of things to think about relative to that. Buy truth, don't sell it, don't give it away. Don't cast your pearl before swine. This truth, by the way, applies to all levels, all age levels. But in the context, if you read the verse before, it says, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. And the following verses speak about parents. This verse is actually not to adults, it's to children. It applies to all of us, but it applies to children. It applies to young people who are still under the tutelage, under, under the authority of their parents. And, and young people are advised to buy the truth as much as older folks, as much as adults. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Here's what we read. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are the things that will be added to us? By the way, they're, they're very important. In fact, I would say that they're needed. All these things would be added to us. These are what? Food, what? Drink, water, and clothing. So we all know that we need these. Jesus is saying, I want you to have a priority and I want you to seek what? Seek God first, even before those highly important things. And we read um, in uh, the wilderness uh, temptation with Jesus being tempted by Satan. Um, he was tested in many different ways, but in every single case, Jesus responded it is written, okay? 
In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, we read, But he answered, that is, Jesus answered, Satan, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you know what that tells us, practically speaking? It tells us it's more important to obey God's word than it is to eat. That's what that verse is telling us. So, come on, folks. How much time do we spend eating every day? I'm sure uh, there are folks in here uh, that fast, so let's put fasting aside, okay? And let's, let's, let's assume that everybody eats every single day. How much time do we spend thinking about eating? Just thinking about it. Now, I know there's something that kind of clicks in me at 10.45, 11 o'clock in the morning at work, and it's just like, ding, and it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm a little hungry. It's starting, right? So that's the first thought I have. I'm not a breakfast eater, so I have no appetite in the morning, but I eat fruit just to tie me over. Uh, maybe you wake up and you're one of those people. I, I'm not. That, bam, I need food now. So you're thinking about food. You're thinking as, as an hour goes by and it's noon now, and you're, just, you're hungry. I mean, you're thinking about, you know, the food that you brought to work in your brown paper bag, or you're thinking about where you're going to go to get food. So you're driving to these places. You're spending time driving to these places. You're spending time, you know, what am I going to get? Am I going to get the, you know, the, uh, the, you know, whatever, the teriyaki, you know, whatever. Am I going to get these kinds of things? And then you spend time doing what? The best thing of all, you spend time eating. So most of us do that, I would say, at least once a day probably at least maybe, maybe twice a day. Some of you do it three. Some maybe do more. I don't know. So if you, if you consider the time you spend thinking about eating, the, the time you spend preparing to eat, and, and the time you spend eating, I would guess on a conservative side, you probably spend maybe at least 30 minutes a day, at least 30 minutes a day, thinking, preparing, and eating. I say 30 minutes, it might be less than that. My sons don't chew. They inhale their food, and, and, it, and it annoys their mom greatly. So maybe you're like that. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you only spend 15 minutes eating a day. I don't know the answer to that. But when you start accumulating all of that time, I want you to think about this. The reality is that God says, listen, my word is more important than eating. I want you to consider how much time you spend in God's word every day. How does that fit? So the lie is that God's word is inconvenient and the truth, the summary of the truth that I've associated with this truth number one is this. Because God chose to reveal himself through the canon of scripture, diligent reading and studying the Bible must matter most to us. It should be precious in our hearts and in our, in our souls. Lie number two, as long as I know the basics, I'm good to go. I can't tell you how many times that I've talked with people, not necessarily that they've communicated to me those words, you know what, I, I know the basics, basics, I'm good to go. But, but it, it comes out in many different ways. If you're having a discussion, all of a sudden it kind of cuts you off, say, yeah, no, 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 I don't need to know that. Okay? All right. You, you, you come across folks like that. Uh, you guys know what a honeybee is, right? Honeybee, I don't, you know, I'm not an in insectologist, if that is a word. Um, but, but a honeybee is a bee that gets honey, right, basically. 
What is a Christian? A Christian is a disciple of Christ. It's, it's a disciple of his teaching, you know, a follower of his teaching. So imagine a honeybee going to a flower, a beautiful flower, and hovering around the flower, and, and it sees, I don't know if they could see or sense, whatever, it sees this, this, this incredible nectar in this flower, and it just hovers around the flower and, and, and doesn't go in and get the nectar. But it goes to the next flower, and, and it, it's around this other flower, and it kind of hovers around that flower, and there's an incredible amount of nectar, and there's no competition for it or anything else like that. It's right there. It's ready for the taking, and the bee simply just flies away. What would you say about that honeybee? You'd say it's weird. It's, it's, it's abnormal. There's something wrong with it. So what would you say about a Christian who has the Bible around them everywhere, is hovering around it, and never never goes and gets it. You would say something's wrong. Something's wrong in, in, their, in their daily transactions that's going on. In First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul, he writes a letter to the Corinthian church, and he's writing to these, this group of believers who, uh, who have a problem. They're, and their problem really is that they're living a very selfish life, a very, very self-serving life in a lot of different ways. And so he communicates in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. He says, And I, brethren, he's writing to what? He's writing to believers, right? I, brethren, this is the Apostle Paul writing to believers, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. So Paul is not saying, he's not saying, listen, you're, you're still drinking milk and now we need to move on to meat. He's not saying, you know, you guys are kind of beginner Christians, so, you know, this is good that you got the milk and now we're going to move on to meat. That's not what he's saying at all. <clears throat> what he's saying is that they still need a diet of milk because their desires are more fleshly, more self-serving rather than controlled by the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit as spiritual men are. And he, and he identifies them as men of flesh or infants in Christ. And we're going to hear that word again in the next passage of Scripture, in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, and chapter 6, the very next verse, verse 1. And we read this, Since you have become dull, okay, since you have become dull of hearing, and this book, book of Hebrews, by the way, is written to um, uh, Jewish believers in Christ, okay? And so the author is writing to Jewish believers, and he's saying, since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity. Okay? So what's he saying here? Is he's, he's saying to them, they become dull. In other words, at, at one point in time, they weren't dull. At one point in time, they were sharp or sharper, okay, if you will. And now they become dull. And, and, and what is this happen? what's happening here? For though by this time you ought to be teachers. I don't want you to think to yourselves, oh, you know what, don't shut me down yet. Don't say, you know what, this is for teachers. I, I, I'm, I don't have the gift of teaching. This is for 
those people. This is not at all what he's referring to. He's not talking about the gift of teaching. What he's talking about here is the ability to lead others through the word and by example. That's what he's talking about. So they become dull here when they should be moving on. And in verse 1 of chapter 6, here he, here he says, therefore leaving. What's he telling them to leave? He's telling them to leave the lie. Leave the lie that, you know what, I know the basics and that's good enough for me. That's a lie. He's saying leave it. If you go on, this is what he says here. Leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ. Now, understand this. The fundamental teachings about Christ, the gospel, is wonderful. And, and he's not saying forget it. That's the foundation. But he's saying here that, that listen, your trajectory isn't to just um, say, I know the basics and that's good enough for me. Your trajectory is not flat. It's not going down. It's in backsliding. He wants our trajectory to be going up to be constantly going up and learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in and through his word. This is how God has communicated to us. He's given us his mind and his will, really, in the word of God. So we need to press on. That is, we need to begin to make these transactions that are growing us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in every single day. So, this idea, this lie, um, we have the second truth that really refutes that summarizing. Because God chose to reveal himself through the inspired word of God, we are expected and entreated to read and study the Bible. And again, uh, I'm careful about saying and using the word daily, but I'm asking you this. If you eat daily, should you be reading your Bible daily? So, the Bible entreats and expects us to read um, as it is precious to us. Line number three, I'm just an ordinary person and I need someone else to teach me. <clears throat> you know, there's a little, there's a little uh, humility soundingness in that, isn't there? You know, I'm kind of a simple guy and I, I, I need somebody to teach me. Well, that's a lie. That, that's a lie. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. This is to parents. You know, parents, um, God and the word of God is assuming your ability to take the word of God and to package it and give it to your child. It's, 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 it's assuming your ability to put the teaching in the cookie jar for the kids. It's assuming that. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. Listen carefully to this. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us, to make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will cross the sea for us to get it, for us to, make, uh, for us to hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart that you may observe it. God's word says that, that this, this is not too difficult. 
for you. This is speaking to the clarity of Scripture here. Proverbs, excuse me, uh, 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 Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. There you go. You might be a simple-minded person. Well, if you read the Bible, it says it will make you a wise person. And we read and we've studied uh, about uh, King Solomon, haven't we? And, and, and we, can, we can go back to that study and basically say that intellect has very, very, very little to do with godliness. Because you can be the smartest, smartest person in the entire world, either before, during, or after. And in the end, it has nothing to do with your intellect. But it has everything to do with fear God and keep his commandments. So it's not, an, it's not, a, it's not this, this idea you need to have intellect. Children obey your parents. What does that assume? That assumes that young people will understand the truth. When the epistles were, were written, it, it, it was written to who? Uh, to the church at, right? It wasn't to the leaders, to the gifted preachers and teachers, to all the saints, okay? And, and by the way, in the Gospels, Jesus Christ never once sympathized with that idea, with that lie. Never once sympathized with it. He said, is it not written? Have you not read? Go and learn what it means that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He never sympathized once with that idea. You know what? I'm, you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't learn very well. I just count on other people to teach me. Never sympathized with it once. So what does all this mean? It, it means that the Bible is made clear to every single one of us. And I, I don't want to say, I don't want to walk out, have you walk out here and say, well, he says that I can, I can know. There, there are passages of Scripture that are difficult to understand, aren't there? Yes, yes. Right, Second Peter chapter 3, right? There are passages of Scripture that are difficult to understand. And because the Bible is God's, God's revelation to us, I mean, we're not going to know it, you know, we're not going to know everything all at once. So there's a process involved in that, and God does use gifted teachers to communicate his word. There's nothing wrong with that. But I can tell you personally, and some of you have had um, seminary-level teaching, which I had, I can tell you this, w- without a shadow of a doubt, I don't care how much seminary-level teaching I have, masters in theology, none of that holds a candle to my personal Bible study. None of that, I would say, is, 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 was, was my greatest teacher. My greatest teacher is in my personal Bible study. It gave me great structure, and it gave me other things, but, but, but it doesn't hold a candle to my own personal Bible study. Truth number three that refutes that lie. Because God chose to reveal himself through the inerrant word of God, we must have complete confidence we must have complete confidence that God will make it clear to us. Young person, God will make it clear to you. Teenager, young adult, I used to say middle age when I was 35 or 45, but I, to me that's young now. Middle-aged person, older person, God will make it clear to you so long as you make 
it clear in your transactions on a daily basis to spend time reading and studying God's Word. Listen, uh, I want to to speak. This just popped into my head here. I just want to speak to maybe you're a wife and uh, and you have really young kids, and your day is just slammed. I mean, you get up and bam, it's like all over you, okay? And maybe you need to get up a little bit earlier. But I opened the book of Philippians because we're, we're reading, we're going to be studying through that in the next three weeks and hopefully beyond for you. And I said, how long does it take to read through four chapters of the book of Philippians? I don't know if I'm a fast reader or an average reader, but I opened it up. I'll say I'm an average reader. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to read it silently because people read silently a lot faster than they do out loud. So I read out loud first time. It took me 13 minutes and 10 seconds to read through the book of Philippians. And I said, you know what? I want to slow it down. So I read it dramatically as if I was Paul penning it and I was just impassioned about it. And it took me almost 15 minutes. It took me 14 minutes and three quarters, okay, to get through it. And I said, how much time is it going to take me to read this just silently? And it took me a little over 10 minutes. So listen, I'm an average reader. The book of Philippians will probably take you, I don't know, you probably, you may be a faster reader than me. Anywhere from nine minutes to maybe 17, 18 minutes to read through it on a daily basis. And so I trust that you'll have an opportunity to read through that and the passages of Scripture specifically as we do our Bible study together. So let me conclude here by two questions. So what? And I'll ask the band if they come up here. First question, will you take God at his word and make a commitment to either start to either restart or, or to continue to continue reading your Bible daily. And for the student of the Word of God, that is the one that is impassioned about it, is in the Word of God every single day, take this study, okay? And you know, as a student of the Bible, that, that God's Word is deep and broad. It is infinite in its application. So you're going to learn from this regardless. But I want you to take the tool, this discipline, if you will, and use this to disciple others as well. So will you make that commitment with me today? And will you commit to spend the next month daily studying the book of Philippians personally and with your family? So I hope that uh, you would make that commitment today. Thank you.